Welcome to the show, the Pete Callender Show. I am the Pete Callender of the show. Thanks for uh, listening. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for subscribing to the podcast. You can hear all of the latest episodes at thepetecallendershow.com. All of the links are in the description of this here podcast. So uh, if you want to join the Facebook group, the link is in the description. If you want to become a patron uh, via Patreon, that link is also in the description. It's all right there. Uh, patrons like Manuel and uh, Mark and Marlon and Mary and Matthew and Matthew and Meredith and Michelle, thank you very much for your support. Uh, all of the folks here that I, when I read these names, and I keep updating the list, by the way, um, when I read these names, it's because I am really grateful uh, for their support, for your support, because uh, your contributions uh, help fund this show and keep it going. And it got us off the ground. And uh, we've got some stuff that we're going to be rolling out here. And I mean, I I was not planning on a pandemic right as I launched the show and small business, but um, <laughs> we are <laughs> we are adapting and uh, overcoming. Uh, Mattress Man, for example, they uh, they were with us when we started up, and they were with us when we had the radio show, and uh, they are adapting and overcoming as well. That's uh, that's what small businesses have to do. And Chuck over at Mattress Man, he's got four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville, uh, but they understand that a lot of people are going to now be shopping online as we self-isolate and stay at home. And so he has uh, redone the whole website. He and the guys at Mattress Man redid the whole website. So now uh, everything that they have in inventory uh, in their stores, right, you can get all of that stuff at the website. You can see all of it at the website. And uh, you can also get free local white glove delivery. All right. So if you are local in the Asheville area, they will bring it to you for free white glove delivery. If you use the discount code RESTWELL, you will get an additional 20% savings site-wide. RESTWELL, all one word, RESTWELL, 20% savings. Oh, and also they have the 120-day comfort guarantee. So whether you're looking for an inner spring mattress or a natural latex mattress or a pillow top mattress or a memory foam mattress, Mattress Man has them, okay? And uh, they also have the adjustable bases, they're locally owned and operated. Uh, they support this show, and uh, I urge you to support them as they support us. Uh, experience the difference. Go to mattressmanstores.com, buy local, and sleep better. All right, so I'm going to start with something that's not exactly COVID-19 uh, related, although kind of, I guess, everything nowadays is tangentially at least related to COVID-19, but this is about uh, a battle emerging in Washington and across the country about large-scale expansion of mail-in voting in the upcoming general election. It's in November. No, you're not crazy. It's really still pretty far away, but it's never too early for us to start thinking about how we can manipulate, and I mean, uh, administer... <laughs> And election. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now, in North Carolina, the conversation, according to the editorial board at the Charlotte Observer and Raleigh News and Observer. So what would that the the, the is it just the observers now? Because it's a they combined their editorial boards because they're both McClatchy. And uh, so now they've got one editorial board offering us their opinions, um, you know, from from Charlotte and Raleigh. I mean, so as they said here, hang on a second. I mean, this is classic. I love this. Uh, at the end of their 
editorial, which, okay, first off, I should say, all right, let, me, let me say this first off. I appreciate the fact that they are actually now identifying themselves by name uh, in their editorials. So I do appreciate that. That, you know, was uh, never happened. And even nowadays, you got a lot of operations. They just say from the editorial board and you can't figure out who they are. And uh, they'll tell you, like, I, this is what the Citizen Times uh, said to me when uh, the actual Citizen Times, when I inquired, like, who is your editorial board, by the way? Uh, and they're like, oh, it's not like we're hiding it or anything. Well, you kind of are hiding it on your website. It's not anywhere on your website. You can't find it on your website. Uh, and it should be, you know, included on every page that has an editorial. Like, if you're going to write an editorial, put your names on it. Um, I, th- this idea that, oh, we speak for the paper, but not the paper, because the paper, first off, it's an inanimate object, so it can't really speak. It doesn't have a voice or an opinion on anything, right? But uh, more importantly, they claim to have an organizational uh, uh, viewpoint, but then they don't want to be held accountable for an organizational viewpoint. You know, oh, well, that's the newsroom. The newsroom's completely separate from the editorial board. Editorial board, we just speak for the paper. Well, wait a minute. You speak for the paper... But these reporters work for the paper. Yeah, but they, 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 they're not influenced at all by it. Oh, so they're not influenced by their employer's voice that's speaking to everybody that they, that, where they work. So anyway, the Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, the Observer Editorial Board, at least they are now naming themselves. So I give them credit for that. At the end of their editorial, they say here, um, behind our reporting, which I thought it's an editorial. I don't really call that reporting, but I don't want to nitpick here. Um, what is the editorial board? They say, um, the Charlotte Observer and Raleigh News at Observer editorial boards combined in 2019 to provide fuller and more diverse North Carolina opinion content to our readers. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you there. There you go. Absolutely. You earn one of those. Sure. A fuller and more diverse. Don't you, don't you get the idea that the Raleigh and Charlotte Observer's editorial boards, that they're going to be more diverse, don't you think? By Instead of having two different boards writing different opinions, we're going to put them into one board and write one opinion, and that makes it more diverse, don't you see? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> whatever. But at least they name their people that are on the board, which is Peter St. Onge, Ned Barnett, who's a very liberal guy, Cartoonist Kevin Sears, who is, uh, I mean, his voting history goes back, you know, 40 years, and he's voted 22 straight times in Democrat primaries. But, uh, yeah, Sarah Glines, Rodney Mahone, and Robin Tomlin, um, those are the, those are the, that makes up the editorial board. Okay, so the editorial board the other day put out a, uh, uh, editorial, obviously, and uh, says that a battle is emerging in Washington and across the country about a large-scale expansion of mail-in voting in November's elections. In North Carolina, the conversation just got especially ugly. Oh my goodness. How did it get especially ugly? What happened? Is... I don't know, are like Democratic leaders? Are they calling Republicans racists or something? No. No, that's just been happening for 20-something years, uh, probably longer than that. Um, forget that the Democrats have been calling them racists for, the, like, my entire adult life. The party of the KKK is calling the Republicans racist. Uh, no, 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 that's not what makes the conversation 
quote, especially ugly for the editorial board? What do you think it would be? What do you think would make this conversation now newly especially ugly? It was a statement to the editorial board from the state Senate leader, Phil Berger, a Republican. When asked about expanding mail-in voting, he said that he was concerned not only about voter fraud, but that he didn't trust Governor Roy Cooper and his state board of elections not to rig the election. (laughs) Which is the editorial board's word, by the way. Rigging the election, that's their terminology. Berger didn't say that. Berger didn't say that they're going to rig the election. He said, quote, there is zero trust that this process would be fair and transparent. That's what he said. Fair and transparent. There's zero trust that this process would be fair and transparent. Now, that's not to say he's not accusing anybody of rigging the election. He's saying that there's no trust that it would be fair and transparent which is you'd have to have both of those components, you see, and I hate to break down the sentence here for the wordsmith professional journalists here, but when you say zero trust that this process would be fair and transparent, you have two things that have to occur in the process. And even if they do occur, by the way, his statement here is that there isn't any trust that it would occur. They could be wrong. Republicans might very well be wrong on that. He's leaving that out, oh, uh, open as a possibility, right? He's saying there's zero trust that it would be fair and transparent, this process. He's not saying it wouldn't be. He's saying that there's no trust that it would be. And it's just the process, that whatever process that the Democrats and the Board of Elections, which, by the way, just to trip down memory lane here real briefly, you'll recall that the governor sued multiple times and vetoed and uh, went to court and all this over the uh, the construction of the Board of Elections. Governor Cooper demanded through the courts that he be allowed to stack the Board of Elections with his political appointees. And he won. He won. Right. right? So this idea that that the Republicans are completely, what was the term here? The, uh, oh, especially ugly. They've gotten completely, especially ugly by suggesting that it wouldn't be a fair process. Why would that, why would that be a surprise? They fought Cooper in court because Republicans wanted to make the board of elections more bipartisan. And you'll recall governor Cooper fired Kim Strack. Remember the, yeah, the executive director of the Board of uh, Elections. Uh, she had been like a, a, a career investigator with the Board of Elections, but they didn't really like her in Democrat circles because her husband was a lawyer and one of his clients were the Republican lawmakers on a case or two. They didn't like her for that, but they really didn't like her because she was the lead investigator that helped take down uh, former Governor Mike Easley, part of the Democrat machine that Roy Cooper is a part of, right? So uh, they really didn't like Kim Strack. And so they fired her. When Cooper won, they, they, they blew her out. And so is it any wonder why Republicans might be just a wee bit suspicious of the Democrats when it comes to uh, running elections through this board of elections that uh, is all comprised of Governor Cooper's political appointments, right? The, the political appointments that he went to court repeatedly to make sure he could make, right? 
So uh, that's the first thing. The second thing, how come it wasn't especially ugly when Cooper was accusing Republicans of rigging the system? How come it wasn't especially ugly when the Democrats uh, make all of these arguments and accusations against Republicans trying to, uh, you know, disenfranchise voters? They're trying to um, uh, 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 suppress votes and stuff. You can argue the merits of the case or, or, or however you want in all of these accusations independently. It doesn't matter to me. All my, my only point here is that the editorial board is framing this as some sort of a new page, a new chapter even in this. Is, and this is especially ugly because Berger says there is zero trust that this process would be fair and transparent. That's ridiculous. It's editorial board. It, that's ridiculous. Your premise, your premise is based off of faulty assumptions, which is based on your bias. Okay, they go on to say, um, it's it's a unfortunate. Okay, well, they're only journalists. It's an unfortunate statement, one that should sadden and alarm voters. Oh my God, really? See, this is this is the this is the hand wringing and the the pearl clutching. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're not going to be able to work together in this trying, difficult time. Meanwhile, you know, cheering on the reporters in the White House press uh, gallery, right? That are just like ripping into Donald Trump and the Democrats on Capitol Hill who are blocking the expansion of the small business PPP um, uh, relief package, right? No, no, no pearl clutching there. No pearl clutching when it's uh, Democrats accusing Republicans of being racist, you know, nothing like that. It's an unfortunate statement, one that should sadden and alarm voters who already face uncertainty over what the November election might look like. Okay, uh, observer, nobody's even thinking about the November election, but thank you for your concern trolling. Now, Berger's comments raise additional concerns about whether Democrats and Republicans can come together to provide the infrastructure necessary for safe voting that's accessible to everyone. You hear what they're doing here? This line to provide the infrastructure necessary for safe voting that's accessible to everyone. They are assuming the Democrat position on this is the correct position. The Democrat position on this right now, at least, and subject to change as it is when, you know, whenever Democrats uh, make arguments like this, they'll they'll argue like, for I mean, this whole thing is about ballot harvesting, mail-in uh, voting and ballot harvesting. And their opinion on this has changed. I'm old enough to remember last year when the Democrats were saying that uh, Republicans were stealing the 9th Congressional District election, the Bladen County, all of that stuff going on right a year ago, started in 2018. All of that fiasco was about ballot harvesting down in the 9th District. And uh, Democrats were arguing that Republicans were doing this, and it was only Republicans, I mean, never mind the fact that the Bladen County Improvement Association has been operating there for like a decade and a half or so, and that the guy who was running the Republican operation used to work for the Democrat operation, and then decided to go to work for the Republican operation. But regardless, the ballot harvesting operation that occurred down in Bladen County was not, uh, that is not unique to Bladen County, right? There are other counties and other operations that, are all over the state of North Carolina and all over America. California, I believe, actually just, they did a law uh, for the last election that legalized ballot harvesting. So what they want now is ballot harvesting to be legalized. 
So when they were against it last year, it was because the Republicans did it and that was wrong. But now they're like, we should totally be able to do it. What is ballot harvesting? It's the idea that you can go and send out all of the ballots someplace and then I can go and go door to door and collect all of your ballots and then mail them in for you. Because it's too difficult <laughs> to mail it. <laughs> right? How about this? How about you just pay for the postage and nobody does the ballot harvesting? Because obviously what happens when uh, uh, you harvest the ballots uh, like that is that now I go and I hit, you know, a hundred homes and I know because I have all of your names and addresses and I can run them through the voter database at the Board of Elections, all public information. I can find out what party you're registered with. And generally I can make an assumption. Oh, look at this lifelong Republican. I'm just going to lose your ballot. Oh, look at that lifelong Democrat. I don't need your ballot. Whatever the, you know, whatever race you're trying to influence. That's why ballot harvesting is illegal. And so now there is this idea that we should legalize it because, you know, people may not be able to get out and vote in person because they'll be getting the COVID-19, right? So this is the assumed position that the Democrats have is correct, right? The assumed position is that theirs is correct uh, and that uh, this is all about creating infrastructure necessary for safe voting that's accessible to everyone. Okay. Similar questions hang over elections across the country. Despite health officials believing that mail-in ballots are an effective way to make voting safer amid the COVID-19 threat, the president and some Republican allies are launching an aggressive strategy to fight a mail-in expansion. That according to the New York Times reporting this week. On Wednesday, Trump tweeted that statewide mail-in voting has, quote, tremendous potential for voter fraud and shouldn't be allowed. That is true, by the way. It has tremendous potential for voter fraud. You know who said that? Well, Trump tweeted it, but Democrats said it. Democrats have been saying it ever since the voter ID rules were being debated in North Carolina for the last decade, basically. Republicans won control of the General Assembly, and then they started saying, hey, let's do a voter ID, and Democrats were like, uh, that's disenfranchising. You hate poor people. You hate minorities. You hate everybody who can't get an ID. Uh, you know, we're looking out for all of these people who are obviously incapable of getting an ID. Uh, and so uh, uh, we're the good guys. You're the bad guys. And if you really cared about election integrity, you would be stopping the absentee balloting uh, because that's where all of the fraud occurs. These mail-in absentee ballots, that's where all the fraud is more likely to occur. Democrats have been making this argument for a decade. Now, they would very much like to have the mail-in balloting. And so now it's the Republicans who uh, are blocking this because I think it's because they hate the minorities, hate the poor people, and uh, hate Democrats and don't want anybody voting. Right. So now they've completely flipped the script and now they're arguing the other side of this. Uh, and the Observer editorial board is more than happy to carry that water for them. By the way, one other point here. When they say despite health officials believing that mail-in ballots are an effective way to make voting safer. Of course, health officials are going to say that. They're health officials. The, but that's not, that doesn't mean they get to rule the day. That doesn't mean what they're, that doesn't mean their opinion is, uh, is the preferred policy course to adopt here. Like I said in yesterday's program, um, if, if you want to make driving perfectly safe, there are ways to do it. It just really restricts your, uh, you know, otherwise normal activities. 
right? You can make cars that go no faster than 30 miles an hour. You could mandate everybody wear big racer-like helmets in the cars and uh, the big harnesses uh, instead of just a single seatbelt. You know, there are things you could do to make vehicles completely or almost completely safer. That doesn't mean we do it. (laughs) It doesn't mean we adopt these things as part of our normal course of life. Right. So, of course, the health officials are going to say, hey, mail-in ballots, that's a way safer option than having people stand in line. I agree. That doesn't mean it's the right course of action. Oh, my gosh, Pete, you want people to die to vote. I'm not saying that either. I would recommend that a lot of people mail in absentee ballots. I don't think we should go to a uh, mandatory uh, mail-in system and a ballot harvesting system. I don't think that's the right way to go. I'd say, hey, how about you launch an effort, a public awareness campaign, mail absentee. You can vote absentee right now in North Carolina. You can. There's nothing that stops you from doing a mail-in uh, ballot. The problem is, see, here's the thing the Democrats are, are worried about, that they know that people are not going to have the response rates <laughs> that they normally have uh, to their campaign uh, efforts, right? The get out the vote operations that Democrats generally run uh, are now going to have to all be devoted to the uh, to the mail-in balloting, which trying to get people to return those ballots is going to be a, a heavier lift for them. That's why they want to be able to harvest. <laughs> they want to be able to go to your uh, to your apartment complex and go and hit everybody and get them all done at once, or go to the campus and get them all done at once. All right, but back to the Observer's editorial here. Um, They say that uh, Phil Berger's 436-word answer to the Observer's question here uh, turned its attention to the governor, whom Berger uh, said has fought fiercely to achieve full partisan control over the state board of elections. And that, again, is true. He has. He's gone to court multiple times for it. All of this is what Berger wrote. Quote, all of this raises natural and legitimate suspicions about the motives of the governor and the board he controls. Those same suspicions raise alarm bells at the prospect of a partisan board of elections controlling a process in which they ostensibly send ballots to every voter. There is zero trust that this process would be fair and transparent. I have told stories over the years of boards of election it, that, um, that I believe that, that have influenced my opinion. My default opinion on boards of elections are that they are run by partisan appointees. And I have come to this conclusion because they are run by partisan appointees. Yes, there are elections directors at the county level and at the state level, but the state, they're all appointees as well. Um, But the, the boards themselves in North Carolina, all of the county boards have uh, three members, I believe is still the, I believe that's still the case. Um, because they went through various iterations, and then I think they went back to the old system. So uh, it's a two-to-one split at the local level, and whoever is the governor, so when, for example, Pat McCrory, the Republican, when he was the governor, he got to make all the appointments to the local boards, and uh, it would be two Republicans and one Democrat, because McCrory was a Republican. And when Cooper took over, all of those board of election members uh, get tossed, and now Cooper makes the appointments, and now they're all two-to-one Democrat majorities. So how do you think those rulings go? Generally speaking, how do you think the rulings go, right? They go for the Democrat position. And I'm talking about, I mean, things that are mundane, sure, but things that could also be pretty important. Important, like, for example, um, residency, 
where does a candidate for office live, right? Do they actually live in the district that they're running uh, in or that they actually have already won election in? Do they live there? And I have covered a couple of these in the course of my career. I covered a couple of these um, residency challenges. These were in Mecklenburg County. One of them, and this woman, by the way, is still an elected official down in Charlotte. I don't know where she lives now, um, but she used to. She had a house. It was like a three hundred something thousand dollar house in a pretty nice neighborhood called Rain Tree down there. And uh, not sure if she was on the golf course or not. By the way, if you're looking for a house on the golf course, you should call my friend Rowena Patton and her All Star Powerhouse team. Uh, they uh, will get you a house. They can find you a house. Uh, there are a lot of houses on the market still. I know, even in these COVID times, it's true. Give them a call at 333-4483 if you are thinking about buying a house. Uh, everything is not completely shut down uh, when it comes to real estate. And uh, Rowena has been doing video uh, uh, consults and walking tours for homes. So if you're trying to sell a home, she can get it sold for you. 333-4483. That's the phone number. 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. Mountainhomehunt.com. And start packing. So this uh, elected official, her name was Vilma, is Vilma Leek. And she had this really nice house in one part of town, and she had this tiny little apartment in a not-so-great part of town. But that was the part of town that she represented, District 2, on the school board. And then she went to county commission. I think that's where she still is today. And uh, she did not live in the District 2 apartment. This was the accusation by people who live in District 2. And they... Uh, filed a challenge of her residency, went to the Board of Elections, and the Board of Elections told these citizens, <clears throat> they said, you need to get proof. And they said, well, we don't have subpoena power to get her bills and such. We only can tell you uh, what we see is that, you know, she shows up and she gets, she takes the mail and then she leaves. Uh, she doesn't ever stay there. And... um Neighbors in the house down in the Rain Tree neighborhood, they said, oh, well, we would we see her come in and she drives up and she stays the night and uh, we see her looks like she's living there and she gets the newspaper delivered there and all of this stuff. So just from the observational evidence, it was obvious to me that, yeah, she's probably living in the really nice house and not the really crummy, tiny apartment. Right. Um, she claimed otherwise. And the Board of Elections, now at this point, she's a Democrat, and the Board of Elections is controlled by Democrats. And they say to these citizens, if you want proof, you're going to have to go get these documents. And they said, well, we don't have subpoena power. You do. And that's what you should be doing as part of the investigation. And they refused. They refused. Instead, they allowed her to mount a defense that uh, essentially comprised of her sitting on the stand, quote unquote, uh, stand, because it was just like some you know folding tables and stuff at the Board of Elections uh, main conference room. And so she's sitting there and uh, she's being uh, cross-examined. <laughs> well, I guess, no, sorry. She's being, uh, well, not, uh, not, not interrogated. She's being examined, right, by her own attorney, who's uh, like the, like uh, Julius Chambers is, you know, this famous civil rights attorney. That's a friend of hers. And that's her attorney for this case. And he's asking her, like, what do you have in your refrigerator? Uh, there's a little old bottle of ketchup in there. Oh, ha, ha, ha. And everybody's laughing about the bottle of ketchup. And they, of course, let her go. They said, oh, no, we don't have any evidence. Can't find us. We can't find any evidence that she doesn't live in this house. Or, or that she doesn't live in the apartment that she lives in the house. She says she just keeps up the house and uh, she doesn't live there. <laughs> so that was her there's nobody living there nobody lives there just she has it 
and just keeps it and doesn't live there. That was her argument. And they bought it. Did they buy it or did they just rule in her favor? They ruled in her favor. Okay. Less than a year later, a libertarian guy who lives in Huntersville decides to run for mayor of Charlotte and claims his work address as his residence because his work address is inside city limits. He gets a challenge. The same board of elections offers to subpoena records on behalf of the citizen that filed the challenge. The very thing, the board, the very same people, exact same people that refused to do the subpoenas against one of their own party members, more than willing to do it in the case of the libertarian candidate. This, so, so see what I mean? I'm a little uh, jaded, I guess you could say, when it comes to these boards of election. All right. Um, so if you want to vote by mail, vote by mail. There's already a process to do that. We do not need to completely create an entire new mail-in system with ballot harvesting operations all over the state of North Carolina. That is not necessary. So the editorial board says, was Berger preemptively accusing the governor of rigging the election? No, said Berger spokesman Pat Ryan. The senator doesn't expect Cooper to rig the election, Ryan said, but Berger doesn't trust that the governor and his board of elections would conduct it fairly. That's a distinction, maybe, but not much of one. Well, no, that is a distinction. That's why they made it. And you, the wordsmith people, the journalists, ostensibly, you're the ones who framed it as rigging the election. You're the ones who framed it that way. This is what I mean. These people who pretend that they're not part of the political arena, that they're not in the arena doing battle, you know, tossing a weapon here, throwing a shield over there, throwing your body in front of your precious governor, stuff like that. (laughs) It just seems to be uh, like, just admit what you are already. And it really is freeing. It really is liberating. Maybe Berger's statement is not that stunning, they say. Maybe there's an underlying assumption, or at least a suspicion, that everybody behaves in partisan fashion these days. These days? This is the question I've been asking for years when it comes to voter ID and election fraud, vote fraud. When when was this date? When did this thing happen? What was the marker in time? where we as a nation said, you know what, we're not going to conduct elections uh, uh, in any shady manner or form. Like, when did this happen? Like, oh, thank God, there's no more election fraud. When did that happen? When did it occur that we finally figured out this is the way to prevent all election fraud, all vote fraud, and yay us, we never have to commit fraud again. And nobody ever wants to commit fraud. When did this happen? When was this great epiphany? This never happened. People have been stealing elections. They still do. (laughs) They still do. There are stories that still come out after almost every single election, local elections, state elections, right? What, What have Democrats been arguing about the Russians for the last four freaking years, right? Election fraud. But now we're supposed to believe that, oh, no, in these, uh, that uh, the, the belief is that everybody behaves in a partisan fashion these days. These days. Like, all of a sudden, this is like brand new territory. <laughs> Again, Democrats have been accusing Republicans of stealing elections and disenfranchising voters my entire adult life. 
The president certainly has voiced that suspicion, saying both before and after the 2016 that the uh, election that the other side cheated. It's all, by the way, uh, Stacey Abrams. I may can I please direct your attention to uh, Stacey Abrams? Isn't it amazing? The woman who ran for governor and lost says she lost because of widespread cheating, election fraud, vote fraud down in Georgia, and that she's not even mentioned. It's the next state over, and she's not even mentioned in any of these examples. No, we get the mention of Trump from 2016, but not Stacey Abrams from, <laughs> from what, 2018? We don't get that. What's up with that? Talk about a blind spot. Uh, they conclude... It's also true that Cooper and North Carolina Republicans have a years-long history of mistrust and power struggles, some of which have ended up in court. But for North Carolina's... <laughs> I love the way they just... Just the framing of that. Like, oh, yeah, it's just power struggles, you know? This is like the... It's like, well, you know, the Christians fought the Crusades. Yeah, against who? There is like a, there's another party involved in this. <laughs> uh but for North Carolina's most powerful Republican to publicly say he doesn't trust the state's most powerful Democrat to run a fair election, it's a reminder of how poisoned our discourse has become. Um, I'd say it became poisoned when y'all accused everybody of racism. I think that was a pretty poisonous thing to, to say. That's just me. I know you guys were doing the accusing, so you totally believed it, and you were all high on your righteous indignation i get it but uh yeah no i think that's i think I, I think some of the poisoning began way before phil Berger suggested that the partisan board of elections uh that cooper went to court repeatedly repeatedly to preserve um and control i'm sure that's got a new uh, this is a new chapter <laughs> in the uh in the poisoning yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, Judicial Watch announced that it's filed a lawsuit against North Carolina and two counties here in the state for failing to clean up our voter rolls. According to Judicial Watch's analysis of voter registration data, many of North Carolina's 100 counties have large numbers of ineligible voters on the rolls. Judicial Watch also says the state's own data shows that North Carolina has about a million inactive voters still on the books. Judicial Watch's lawsuit, this is from their press release, argues that the state of North Carolina, Mecklenburg County, and Guilford County failed to make reasonable efforts to remove ineligible voters from their registration rolls, which is actually required by the National Voter Registration Act of 1993. The lawsuit also claims that these jurisdictions violated that act by failing to make available to Judicial Watch the public records concerning efforts to comply with the law. The NVRA provides for the removal of the names of registrants who have failed to respond to an address confirmation notice and then failed to vote in the next two general federal elections. Uh, federal law makes the removal of those people from the rolls. They may, federal law makes it mandatory. Okay? And North Carolina is not doing it. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know why anybody would be suspicious of the Board of Elections, you know? <laughs> what? <laughs> in, June, in June of 2019, the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission released data showing that voter registration rates in a significant proportion of North Carolina's 100 counties are close to at or above 100% of their age-eligible citizenry. Okay, what does that mean? North Carolina 
I forget what the exact voter registration number is, but I know we have like, say, I know we have like 10 and a half million people. So let's say, I think the voter registration number is like eight, something like that. But let's, so let's say 8 million registered voters. Okay. We have 8 million people who can vote. We know this by demographics. We know that there are 8 million people that are above the age of 18, but we have say 20 million registered to vote. (laughs) Now, okay. Now those numbers are wildly, uh, so it's not 20 million, but it's, it's like 115%, 130%, whatever. So it's, you know, we have 8 million people who are 18 years and eligible to vote. And, uh, we have 10 million registered voters. How do you have more registered voters than people who are actually old enough to vote and not felons and that sort of thing, right? You have a population that's eligible to vote, and we have an actual registered voting population that's larger. There are more people registered to vote than actually exist in the state, okay? So uh, that's a problem, right? That's a, it's, a, it's a quick and easy way to determine that you're not keeping up with your list maintenance, your voter list maintenance. You're not doing a good job of that. Judicial Watch's analysis also also showed at the time of this report done by the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, um, the entire state of North Carolina had a registration rate close to 100% of its age eligible citizenry. That is an abnormally high number, okay? What they, so they go on, they document some of the uh, uh, some of the numbers here. About 17% of North Carolina registrations are inactive. Uh, that's about, uh, that is, sorry, the fifth worst of the 40 states <laughs> that where data is available. I guess there are 10 states where we don't even have data. Uh, so we, that's the fifth highest. That's not good. Uh, by comparison, the median state inactive rate is 9.6%. So we're almost twice the uh, the rate of inactive voters, which means they need to be expunged. They need to be taken off of the list. And you may ask yourself, well, why is this such a big deal? Well, because if you leave names on the list, those those lists are public information. Nonprofits, activist groups, right? Get out the vote operations, political parties, right? They all know this information. They 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 get the lists. Has do you ever wonder why you'll be getting phone calls? Hey, have you gone out and early voted? Hey, you remember to early vote? Hey, remember to early vote? And then you go out and early vote and the phone calls stop because they know you voted. (laughs) They don't know how you voted, but they know you voted. So if you have a list of people that you know are not likely to vote because they haven't ever voted and there was a postcard sent to their address, because the rule is, as I mentioned earlier, right, the rule is that the Board of Elections will just send a postcard. Hey, are you still registered or do you still live at this address? And if you if you do still live at the address, uh, you don't have to do anything. Just throw the card away, right? That's it. Now, if you don't live at the address, uh, well, you can't send it back because you don't live there. But hopefully, the person who lives there will send it back to the board of elections, or the post office will say, "Oh, address C has moved," and it'll bounce back to the post office or to the board of elections, and then they'll uh, make a note that you don't live there anymore, right? We're relying on the post office. You see the the problem here is like we're relying on the post office to uh, to get the postcard to you. Then we're relying on a non response as proof that you're okay. Um, and then if you if they send the card, the card goes to the address. It doesn't go back to the post. Uh, it does not go back to the uh, uh, board of elections. Uh, and then you don't vote in the next two election cycles. People know that. 
people are going to know that you haven't voted in two election cycles, federal election cycles. And so on the second one, last day, maybe somebody armed with a list is able to roll in someplace and vote. And you don't live there anymore. You didn't get a card. You're in another state. You have no idea you're voting someplace where you used to live. But you're not actually voting. Someone else is. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I have evidence that this is, you know, a a massive operation. It's all widespread. Like, I I don't know. It's one of the things. Like, when you don't look for this kind of stuff, it's kind of difficult to find it. Uh, So there's that component here. But the other thing is that um, maintaining a quality list helps reduce the likelihood that that occurs, as does voter ID. And that's why people want it. That's why maintaining your lists and uh, having voter ID limits people's ability to do that sort of uh, uh, nefarious activity. And so that's what the point of uh, all of these um, reports are. And so now Judicial Watch is suing. They've sued a bunch of other states under very similar circumstances. Uh, They have successfully litigated uh, other counties and states into compliance with the NVRA. Voter registration lists, though, across the country remain significantly out of date. Their study last year found 378 counties nationwide that had more voter registrations than citizens old enough to vote. These 378 counties combined had about two and a half million registrations over the 100% registered mark. This is a drop of about one million from Judicial Watch's previous analysis of voter registration data in 2017. So, so two and a half million people, county or two and a, yeah, two and a half million registrations above 100% registration. What, that's two and a half million potential votes. It's actually more than that because I don't believe you get a hundred percent voter registration anywhere. Seriously, like I, I don't, I don't think that happens. I think there are a lot of people that refuse to register to vote <laughs> because they don't want to vote. They don't care about voting. They they think their vote doesn't matter. It's a hassle. They go inactive. They move. They don't re-register. All sorts of reasons. And so, just assuming that everybody that is at a hundred percent voter registration, I think is. I think that's not reasonable, but it gives you an idea that even if every single voter eligible person is registered to vote, there are still two and a half million extra registrations. That's a problem. That's a fertile area for uh, for fraud. Okay. Are you looking for any uh, preparation supplies? Are you looking for some advice? Are you looking for maybe your EMS or law enforcement and uh, you're looking for uniforms because now all of a sudden you got to wash your uniform like 17 times a day. Um, If that's the case, Old Grouches is the place you need to to get in contact with. Old Grouches Military Surplus. Oldgrouch.com is the website. Uh, Tim runs it. It's he's got the shop in downtown Clyde on Main Street, but the shop obviously is uh, is not open because of the COVID. Uh, but he is fully operational online at oldgrouch.com. And if you've got uh, questions about an item that you see on the website, if you have, uh, if you're looking for something uh, and you think he can help you get it. Uh, or if you are uh, EMS or law enforcement uh, and you want uh, access to some uniforms, uh, I'm going to give you a phone number here and you can send him a text message. All right, don't call. It's a just a text-only line. Send him a text message and he'll get back to you. Uh, the number is 
2497. That's 565 2497. Uh, he's there to answer your questions about being prepared, about items he has uh, in stock, items he can get for you, find out about, uh, and uh, uniforms. You can make an appointment and he can get you some uh, some new duds. Oldgrouch.com. Old Grouch's military surplus. It's an old school traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. David Harsanyi over at National Review wrote a piece the other day as well. Um, this one was called Don't Let Democrats Federalize Elections. And um, this is now, you're going to start seeing more and more of this. And this is why uh, the Republicans are uh, pouncing, there uh, is a seizing on uh, this idea uh, that uh, Democrats are wanting this, uh, they're wanting new federal rules to take essentially the operation of elections out of the hands of the states. And a lot of people don't realize this. The Fed sets some... Uh, they just like the constitution and the federal rules related to this, like there are some structure of rules and stuff, but the states actually run the elections, right? And this is one of the things that people who call for the abolition of the electoral college, they don't understand federalism, obviously. Uh, but they also, uh, there's also this, uh, element there of, uh, a lack of understanding that it's not a national election for president that we hold. It is 50 state elections all on the same day. That's what we're doing on every four years when we have the big national uh, 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 coverage for, you know, here's the presidential race. We're not having we're not having a national federal election, right? We're having states all at once do an election on that same day. He says, David Harsanyi says, I'm sorry, but you have no constitutional right to vote by mail. And that's true. You have no constitutional right to vote six days after an election is over, nor do you have any right to censor information related to an election, not even during a pandemic. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled, sorry, so this would be last week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a federal court was not empowered to overwrite Wisconsin election law and force that state to accept ballots without any postmark deadline a week after the election. This is what they wanted Wisconsin to do. Likewise, the Wisconsin Supreme Court ruled that Governor Tony Evers did not have the authority to arbitrarily suspend in-person voting. That's what they did in Wisconsin, apparently. I haven't been following this very closely, but when the Supreme Court made the ruling, like the left went berserk. You're going to force everybody to stand in line and die of COVID. Like you don't. You don't get to just change the rules, even in a pandemic, you don't get to just change the rules so anybody can send in ballots a week after the election with no postmark on it, right? The the reaction was predictable, the usual suspects, you know, um, when will the conservative wing abandon their partisanship and begin compromising? That was the Washington Post, <laughs> right? Yeah, compromise, which of course, compromise means that uh, you give up your position and agree with us. That's what compromise always means. Liberal pundits, he says, apparently unable to differentiate between partisan policy preferences and the rule of law, launched into their customary hysterics, denouncing the Supreme Court for disenfranchised minorities and putting people's lives at risk. The Supreme Court actually did nothing of the sort. Here's what the U.S. Supreme Court said. Quote, the court's decision on the narrow question before the court should not be viewed as expressing an opinion on the broader question of whether to hold the election 
or whether other reforms or modifications in election procedures in light of COVID-19 are appropriate. That point cannot be stressed enough. All right. Again, let me, let me say this again, because they say this point cannot be stressed enough. So let me stress it again. The court decision was on a narrow question, and it should not be viewed as an opinion on whether to hold the election or whether you should make some reforms. They're not saying you should or shouldn't. They're not saying uh, to hold the election or not. They're saying on the issue you brought forth, the issue being, can we send in all of these mail-in ballots a week after the election's over? On that question, no, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's not. That's that's against the law. And they're right. They are correct. Um, the court does not exist... This is what David Harsanyi says. The court does not exist to fix your local government's incompetence or make life safer. It exists to uphold the Constitution. And I think we all would be better off if we remembered that. The the Supreme Court is not there to fix the legislative branch's stupidity or incompetence. And legislative branch, uh, branch rather, uh, at the federal level, at the state level, uh, the or you know anybody at the state level and the local level, right? The 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 incompetence that is exhibited by local and state and federal governments, that's it is not up to the Supreme Court to fix that incompetence, nor is it up to the Supreme Court to make your life safer. Their charge is to uphold the Constitution. That's it. I know it's an antiquated idea in today's culture. None of this is to say that the situation in Wisconsin is fair to voters, though. They had to risk standing in lines during a dangerous pandemic. Many states have contingencies in place for emergencies. Wisconsin, while it had plenty of time to pass new guidelines, apparently does not. (laughs) So that's a Wisconsin problem, not a Supreme Court problem, not a democracy problem, and definitely not a federal problem, he says. But make no mistake... Elizabeth Warren has already proposed um, mandating automatic and same-day voter registration because the Wisconsin case is now being used in the broader effort to federalize and centralize elections in order to create a more direct democracy, even though such efforts are antithetical to American governance. I often say democracy is three wolves and a lamb voting on dinner not too bad if you're the wolf i guess you get fed pretty crummy if you're the lamb right that's a democracy that's why we don't have a a, a, that's why we don't have a national democracy the founders did not want it democracy here's another term for it mob rule (laughs) that's another word for it if more people in the mob want to do something it gets done that's it so elizabeth warren Uh, has already proposed this automatic, uh, mandating automatic and same-day voter registration, also ending ID requirements. By the way, have you noticed this? Many of the same people who want to create some sort of, uh, you know, if we get a vaccine or we find out, like, through testing and tracing who's got the virus, who had the virus and all that, um, 
we can give out like immunity cards. Have you heard this idea, right? Being thrown about like Bill Gates is on board with this idea. I think Fauci, Dr. Fauci made some reference to it a couple of days ago. Uh, so uh, this idea that you're going to get like an immunity card and, oh, look at me, I'm immune. I already had it or I got some vaccine or something. And now I get to fully participate in the society. And if you're not immune or you didn't get the vaccine, you don't. Sorry for you. Um, a lot of the people who are on board with that whole idea, they think it's disenfranchising to ask for an ID to go vote. I wonder what the Venn diagram would be <laughs> for that. <laughs> <laughs> for these two populations, you know, it just seems to me to be sort of counterintuitive, a little paradoxical, if you will. Don't want IDs at voting. So we're going to tell. So the federal government now is going to tell the states you can't do a voter ID, compelling states to have 15 days of. By the way, so many states now have voter ID and they've seen voter participation rates increase in the wake of voter ID laws getting implemented. You would think at some point that this argument would be considered a lie or at the very least all wet. Like it's just, the, the argument is kind of silly at some point. You would think that they would no longer, uh, they, they would just be embarrassed to make these arguments. And the media doing the, the, the story would say, okay, all right, like, come on. But it hasn't happened yet. Maybe in my lifetime it'll happen. But who knows? I'm not holding my breath. Compelling states to have 15 days of early voting and forcing states to adopt voting by mail among other liberal pet projects. She wants the federal government to bribe states with billions of dollars to adopt the standards, and she wants these changes implemented all by November. Uh, by the way, she's not alone. In phase four of the coronavirus rescue package, Democratic leaders uh, reportedly included provisions that would compel all states to offer voting by mail. Joe Biden also supports the mandate because he says all the experts say we should do it. <laughs> Uh, Democrats have spent years weakening the integrity of elections, but voting by mail opens up the process to real world voter intimidation, disenfranchisement, fraud, and a host of other problems. Uh, not to mention there's really not enough time to debate it as if it's all by design. If you enjoy the design of this program and you, uh, want the content to continue, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, check out all the descriptions in the, uh, uh, all the links rather in the description here, uh, at the podcast page that you're listening to. Thanks for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.